0: 12 through twenty one and we see three things here uh, first one is the memory of god 's word in verses twelve through fifteen the majesty of god 's word in verses sixteen through eighteen and the meaning of god 's word in nineteen through twenty one so easy to remember the memory, the majesty, and the meaning. If you go away from here, if you only remember that related to this paragraph, these few paragraphs. Uh, you will have nailed down some of what Peter is conveying to us. But we come to the memory of God's Word in verses 12 through 15. Let me read verses 12 through 15 for you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things... Uh, When he says, therefore, we have to look in the context to see why he says, therefore. It's in light of the context of the material that has gone before. And we've looked at that over several weeks in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we know that he has encouraged us. He has told us to be diligent to develop these qualities, these eight qualities, or seven, as they're added to our faith. And verses 5 through 7, he says, For this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. And those are these things that he's talking about. Now back to verse 12. Therefore, in light of what I've said before, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though... You already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Uh, If you were listening carefully and looking at your copy of Scripture, it may have been uh, translated a little differently. But three times in these four verses, he has told us to remember, basically to remind us, to refresh our memory, and to remember the important job of uh, anybody who proclaims the truth of God's Word. Uh, that I see as one of my major ministries is to remind myself of the truth and then to, as I have opportunity, share with you all and remind you about who you are and where you stand as believers in Christ. Remember, this letter is written to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Peter is writing for the purpose of warning them and encouraging them because false teachers are coming into the church. In the first letter of Peter, he was warning them about outside persecution. And how to handle that. Here in his second letter, written a little while later, probably right before his death, his martyrdom, uh, we see him encouraging them and warning them about false teachers. And when we get to chapter two, we will be able to discern what a false teacher looks like. And Peter tells us about that in chapter two. But for now, he is wanting us to remember, he is reminding us, he sees it his duty his duty, if you will, Peter's duty is to remind us. Notice he will always be ready to remind you as he talks about believers here. Remember when Peter was walking with, when Jesus was on earth and Peter, as one of the disciples was following him, Jesus told Peter to shepherd the sheep in John 21. You know, feed my sheep, he said, Peter knew that he had been given a ministry to fulfill. There was a calling upon his life. He was responsible to feed the flock, to protect the flock, and all those images that have to do with a shepherd and the sheep. Jesus had called them to this, and he was to remind believers what they've already been told, what they've already knew. Now, many of us have been believers for a long, long time. We've sat in services like this week after week, year after year, and we just need to be reminded sometimes of the truths that perhaps we've forgotten or perhaps we have ignored or perhaps we don't want to remember. Uh, But uh, these apostles were there to remind God's people uh, of what the Lord has done and what he will do. You know, part of our problem is is that we do forget the truths of God's Word. And we are so enmeshed in our culture and in our society, it's easy for culture and society to rub off on us. And therefore, it's easy to forget God's will and God's way. And so he's called here in that verse, notice that you already know these things, he's saying, uh, and you have been established in the truth that is present with you. And so there's this establishment, there's a strengthening. But this only happens if we are have our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts open to what God is teaching us. You know, uh, sometimes we treat the Bible as if it's a collection of magic pills. Okay, I call it bumper sticker Christianity, probably more apt would be Facebook Christianity. I'm always amazed at how many little posters and stuff are put on Facebook with just one verse or part of a verse taken out of context. And yes, they're encouraging things, but this is not a magic pill you take. These are more like vitamins, essentially. The word of God is like a nourishing meal. I don't remember the nourishing meal I had yesterday, let alone 10 years ago. And yet I know that it kept me going. And that's the idea here. We, you may take vitamins or supplements with, uh, with your daily regimen, and it doesn't suddenly give you a shot of energy. Uh, it's over time that it keeps you healthy. And Peter prescribes here that we have this ongoing uh, reminder and strengthening and establishing in the Word of God. In verse 13, we see that his desire is that we be refreshed He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Some of your translations uh, may have, in earthly dwelling may have translated it in this tent. It's the picture of our physical bodies is like we're, temporarily in these bodies our spirit and soul inhabits a body a physical body which is has a beginning and has an end and yet our spirit and soul is everlasting and eternal and the word that is used there is translated in another place as tabernacle it talks about Jesus Christ inhabiting his earthly body as a tabernacle and if you think of the old testament picture of the tabernacle what was it in israel they took this tabernacle as they traveled in the exodus And that's where the Shekinah glory, that's where God dwelt. And in Jesus Christ, that is God himself incarnate, God is dwelling on this earth. And then as believers, it tells us that we have God's presence in the Holy Spirit. So your physical body is like a tabernacle. It is like a tent. It is temporary, but it is the dwelling place of God. And his desire that as long as he's able to, As long as he has breath, before he passes away, he's going to stir us up by way of reminder. It's the right thing to do. Peter was so assured that he had God's calling upon his life and that he meant to arouse and awaken us and give us this great picture of moving on through the Christian life. We'll see in chapter 2 that false teachers will be moving into the church, and they don't have this, and they need to be alert against false teaching and the wrong use of the Word of God. And therefore, he is giving them instruction. He's reminding them of the truth. The Apostle Paul felt the same way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. For, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It is wise for us to be constantly reminded of things we think we've known clear from Sunday school when we were four years old to this day, but it is good to be reminded of the truth of God's Word. Uh, we need to allow God to stir us up and to keep us growing. Uh, there's a story, I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or not, but it makes a good story about During World War II, there were some uh, Marines on an island in the South Pacific, and one of the locals, one of the South uh, Pacific Islanders, uh, proudly showed a Marine his Bible during the war. And the soldier replied, the Marine replied, well, back in America, we've outgrown that kind of thing right now. And uh, the native smiled back and said, well, it's a good thing that we haven't outgrown it, because if it weren't for this book, you'd have been a meal by now. (laughs) So that transformative power of the Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit changes and transforms us. I know many of your testimonies, and I see transformation. It doesn't matter if you were saved at vacation Bible school when you were four years old, Or like me, you were in your 20s or 30s or 40s. There is always the transformative power, the miraculous working of God. And it was Peter's desire, not only his duty, but his desire to refresh our memories about that. And then thirdly, in verses 14 and 15, Peter talks about his death more specifically. And he wants us to remember. In verse 14, he says, "'Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me.'" Of course, scholars argue, how did Peter know this? He knew his days were short. He was writing this in about 62, 63, and uh, he was probably in his his, uh, 50s, late 50s. Uh, He knew his days were short because Jesus in John chapter 21 had told him that he would suffer a martyr's death. Uh, whether he got some extra biblical revelation later about this was specifically the time, but most believe that Peter was martyred soon after Second Peter was written. But in verse 15, he tells us that, I will be diligent that at any time after my departure that you will be able to call these things to mind. Again, we get this, this concept and this exhortation to remember, remember, remember. And it's, it's wrapped up in that word, to be diligent, in verse 15, which means to be careful, to endeavor, to be diligent, to do something, to be zealous. And Peter knew that he was going to die soon, and he wanted to make sure the people he was writing to, these beloved believers uh, that were under attack by false teachers, would remember the truth of God's word. And the word that's used of Peter's death is the word that some have translated as decrease. It means a departure. And Peter knew that his departure was near. And all of us, none of us knows the days that we have ahead of us uh, because the thing we rest in is the fact that in Psalm 139, God numbers our days, and he is righteous and just, and he makes no mistakes. So whether we die a young death or a very aged death, God knows and we can trust him with the purpose in all of that. And so he calls us to remember. He calls us to remember. And then he's going to tell us about the majesty of God's word in verses 16 through 18. First of all, Christ's majesty was seen. Look at verse 16 with me. For we did not follow cleverly disguised tales or devised tales when we were made known to you, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, the majesty of God's word and the majesty of the God of the word. And it goes back, what he's going to reflect on in verses 16 through 18 is on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus's appearance was changed and Peter and John, and the other one, they were they were they beheld his majesty, and it was a promise of this coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's calling upon them to remember. Remember, God reveals himself in three ways. In Romans, it tells us that God reveals himself through his creation. Also, God reveals himself through the written word. That's called specific revelation, and then special revelation is it's revealed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the living Word, if you will. And so Peter is telling us that we are to know that Christ's majesty was seen. He didn't make up, the apostles didn't make up this whole account, but they were there. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And verses 17 through 18, it was spoken of, for when, when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by, to him by the mag- majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Talking about the transfiguration. When God the Father uttered those words and they heard his voice, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if you were listening, as Bill read that account out of Matthew, it said, listen to him. It didn't just simply say, see him. It said, listen to him, his words. He is the word, the logos. It is important to listen. And this was uh, Peter's exhortation uh, is his desire to communicate the true majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are looking forward to his second coming. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, Jesus said to remember him, do this in remembrance of me, he said. So it's a memorial time where we look back and we look at our present lives and we anticipate glory in the future and we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you remember in Matthew 17, Peter wanted to live there, didn't he, on the Mount of Transfiguration? He talked to Jesus and said, we should make some tabernacles here, some shelters for you, for Moses and Elijah. And Jesus didn't allow him to do that because the time was not right. We still look forward to that tabernacling or living with Jesus as our Savior. And so the memory and the majesty And then the meaning of God's word in verses 19 through 21. Let me read those for you. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There's a concept in Scripture called illumination, the meaning of God's Word. In other words, it is illumined. It is like the light shines on it. We are given understanding through the power of God's Holy Spirit as he teaches us and leads us in the truth. There are a lot of scholars in this world who know a lot about this book, They know the original languages. They can go backwards and forwards in it, but they are not redeemed. They are not saved, if you will, and they do not have the illumination of the truth yet. Prayerfully, we hope they do get that illumination, but there are those who reject that. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. There's an eternality to the word of God. The prophets foretold the Messiah's coming when you think of the Old Testament. In the context, remember, Peter is writing to a people who had the Old Testament and maybe some portions of the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, but they didn't have the completed canon or the compilation of the Word of God, all these 66 books. And so he's telling them that there is this illumination of the Word of God. And someday, uh, the Bible teaches that he will return in this kingdom of light. Now, the morning star is uh, technically, uh, literally, Venus that comes up early in the morning, or we see it, it's visualized there. But yet, Jesus Christ is that morning star, that there is a new day coming. When you accepted Christ as Savior, if you have done that, you have a new life. You are no longer who you used to be. You are changed and transformed. You may look the same. You may feel the same in a lot of respects, do some of the same things, and yet you are a creature in Christ. And we come to interpretation, and that's what Peter is talking about here. He says that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now there's much confusion out there because uh, many people will say, "Well, that's just your interpretation." Uh, God's word is designed as such, is that there is one interpretation and many applications. Now there are portions of scripture which might be hard to understand. And we may come to a conclusion on them, but that may change over time as we are further illuminated by the Holy Spirit. That's why Bible study is a lifelong pursuit. As we gain more knowledge, as God teaches us more, we learn more. But there is one interpretation and many applications. And so sometimes we hear interpretations which do not match the Word of God. They would not be accurate interpretations. Uh, The Spirit gave the Word, and only the Spirit can teach the Word and interpret it accurately. Jesus confirmed this in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, some have taken this verse and said that uh, uh, only the priest can interpret the Word. You laity people, you can't. And yet, that is not, <clears throat> not the point. That is not the correct interpretation here. He's saying that the Word of God is, comes to us from, the, from God himself, and the correct interpretation is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are all believer priests, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will guide you into truth. So, illumination, interpretation, and then inspiration, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit uh, spoke from God. And so he's talking about all of the Old Testament, as it was written down as God used people, that it was inspired by God. In fact, the picture there of these men being moved by the Holy Spirit is that of a sailing ship who puts up its, its, its sails its, on its mast, and then the wind comes and fills the sails, and that's the idea behind interpretation. This is one of two important scriptures affirming the divine inspiration of God's word. The other is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Scripture's human authors were controlled by the divine author. Now, there's debate about how the inspiration worked, but we know that God, from the evidence we have here, worked through the personalities and through the the, uh, grammar and syntax and the vocabulary of the writer's. That's why if you were to go and and learn Greek, you would be taught what's called baby Greek your first semester, and where you would go would be the Gospel of John, because John's Greek is very simple. His vocabulary is very simple and easy to use, and you wouldn't get to Romans until much later in your Greek language training, because Romans is very complex. Paul was very complex in how he used language. And so God worked through the personalities, worked through the vocabulary of the authors, but yet he inspired them to write down what he wanted written down. You may have heard of William Ramsey. He was an English scholar that lived uh, in the 19th century. He went to Asia Minor, what is called Turkey now, with the express purpose of proving that the history given by Luke in the Gospel of Luke and Acts was inaccurate. Uh, His professors have confidently told him and taught him that Luke could not be right. He began to dig into the ancient ruins of Greece and Asia Minor, testing for ancient terms, boundaries, and other items, which could be a dead giveaway if the writer had been inventing his history at a later date, as some claimed. To his amazement, Ramsey found that the New Testament scriptures were accurate to the tiniest detail. So convincing was the evidence that Ramsey eventually became a Christian and a great biblical scholar because of this. The divine inspiration of scripture means that it is inerrant and authoritative. It is without error. So first of all, God gave his word to us. He illumines it through the power of his spirit. He gives us the... the, uh, tools and the guidance for right interpretation of a passage, and that is we recognize the divine inspiration that it was not written by men and their ideas, but God moved human authors to write the words that he wanted recorded. The Bible is God-breathed. And so, when I think about Peter's concern that we remember, we remember, he knows it's human nature to forget important things. And so, a daily regimen of getting into the Word of God, reading it systematically and carefully and studying it will take us a long ways to combat, like Wes was talking about, the false teachers that Peter is going to talk about in chapter 2. I'm not a tea drinker. I know many are. uh, But my dad was a tea drinker, and we always had tea bags in the house. And uh, my question is for you today, are you a dipper or a soaker? You know, some people take a tea bag, and and they just bounce it in and out of the hot water, and others just throw the tea bag. When I have tea, I just throw the tea bag in and leave it there. But uh, are you a dipper or a soaker? You know, if you want weak tea, you dip it, and then you take it out. But if you want strong tea, you throw the bag in, and you let it soak in that hot water. What is the process? Well, it's the same for the Christian life. If we simply dip into the Word of God, like Some of our evidences up here on the screen were uh, we're going to be weak Christians. We're not going to have the resources that we need in those times where we need those resources. But if we soak ourselves in the Word of God, immerse ourselves in it, it penetrates into our very being. And strong Christians are permeated by God's Word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for, again, for the Apostle Peter. Thank you for uh, his desire for us to remember, his desire to see your word go forth. And we thank you for this morning, for this Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen. The men are going to help serve would come up at this time. uh, What an appropriate...